Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast, where we bring together the best medical minds, thought leaders, scientists, patients, and caregivers to inform and inspire the spondylitis community. I'm your host, Jill Miller, living my best spa life, knowing that how we meet today has the power to change everything going forward. Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast. Our guest today is Dr. Steve Lee, who studied psychology at the University of Western Ontario, later studying biology and political science at Cal State. He earned his Doctor of Osteopath degree from Western University of Health Sciences and completed his internal medicine residency and rheumatology fellowship at Loma Linda University Medical Center. He also later completed a fellowship in integrative medicine at the Andrew Weil Center at the University of Arizona. He is currently a clinical rheumatologist at Kaiser Permanente in Southern California, where he teaches students and residents at Kaiser. He also serves as volunteer clinical faculty at Western University, Loma Linda University, University of California, Riverside, and California University of Science and Medicine. He is also graciously a member of the Spondylitis Association of America's Medical Scientific Advisory Board. So Dr. Lee, welcome. I'm very excited to talk to you today a little bit about how integrative medicine folds into treatment of spondyloarthritis. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for that nice introduction, Jill, and happy to spend a few moments with you and all of our patients out there. Thank you. Excellent. So one of my biggest questions for you is as a rheumatologist and internal medicine doctor, you later added integrative medicine to your education. I'm curious what inspired that and did it have anything to do with being raised in South Korea or Canada. Uh, what inspired that as you got into rheumatology? Well, that's a great question. And uh, I, I thought long and hard about um, about pursuing this extra educational path. And, and I wish I could say it was something uh, a little bit deeper, more meaningful, <laughs> like, like my heritage or the countries I've lived in. But really, it, it's just to uh, my main motivation was just trying to learn what patients are uh, are asking about. What 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 are patients trying to find out? And um, it, I've I've come across so many patients. I don't think it's a Southern California thing either. But um, patients want to know what else is there. You've given me a diagnosis. You're helping me explain why I'm having these symptoms. But don't just throw a drug at me. You know, we know drugs work. Medications have uh, moved at light speed in the past 20 years or so, especially in the realm of rheumatology. But what else can I do at home? Is there something I'm missing, whether it's the diet uh, or a, an herb, a supplement, or is it something I'm, I'm not doing? Is there something I'm doing to myself that might be contributing to this? And one of my... Um, mentors slash colleagues is a, is a wonderful clinician at UCLA. And she had completed this two-year fellowship at the University of Arizona at the Andrew Weil Center and strongly encouraged me to continue the learning process. And, and I thought, boy, isn't that what medicine's all about? Continuing to learn and expand our knowledge. And 
seeing what what patients are are expecting out of us and um i was lucky enough to uh to qualify and and um be granted a, a wonderful scholarship at the andrew Weil center and um and uh, it was a almost a no-brainer <laughs> a scholarship to go continue learning and and um and provide some of the services and information that patients are asking but yeah that's that's really it's a patient-centric motivation uh, that that motivated me to, to do all this extra training in integrative medicine that's fantastic. So for people listening who've never encountered uh, integrative medicine or integrative wellness, what are the components of integrative wellness? Yeah, and that's a, that's a great question. Um, and many patients ask me that when I bring up the notion. And I, I don't think there's one easy definition that encompasses what integrative medicine means to every single clinician and every single patient. But um, I, I did mention or I quoted um, the World Health Organization uh, at a, at a, on a previous endeavor through the Spondylitis Associ Association of America. And um, let me quote that, that the World Health Organization definition of health is, and here's a quote, Health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. And that was a quote that the World Health Organization made in April of 1948. And I think that's as good of a description as, as any um, that, that we can expand upon, that it's, it's physical wellness. I think everybody would agree on that. But it's that other very important facet, the, the mental wellness or psychological well-being. And then the social health um, that that's so important too. Uh, humans are social people by nature, and I think um, we're healthier when we're around loved ones and and supportive folks, and um, e even dare I say, inspirational people. And that's what I try to bring to the table at every patient visit: a little sense of optimism and uh, um, ongoing improvement strategies for a patient's health. And um, that, that's, that's the kind of the, the, the general approach, I think, to integrative medicine. But there, thereafter, I, I kind of explore with the patient, what, what's interesting to you? Is it anything about nutrition? Um, is it anything about uh, supplements? Is it other things beyond medicine? Is it manual medicine? Is it, is it acupuncture? Is it chiropractic? Is it even spiritual? Um, I tend to be very careful with that one. We never want to offend anybody or overstep our boundaries. But uh, many people do want to speak about the spiritual health that may actually um, influence their their physical health and emotional well being. Um, there are there are also other facets facets like uh, like sleep. Uh, many patients complain that they don't sleep very well, and I'll, I'll acknowledge that there are nights when I. Uh, uh, have some challenges sleeping too uh, because of various factors or reading the news or uh, eating unhealthy or uh, rehearsing for a wonderful podcast or a information session with the Spondylitis Association. Um, <laughs> you know, various different things may influence our sleep, um, even caffeine. And, and I, I try to 
adjust my uh, conversation to sort of fit what the what's important to the patient. But yeah, those are just a few elements of integrative medicine. E- even um, such things uh, like Oriental medicine or or traditional Chinese medicine, or TCM, it's known as. Even things like Ayurveda, which is the the ancient Indian uh, art of healing, and many of these principles were covered during my integrative medicine fellowship. But yeah, everything's on the table, exercise, um, uh, even deep breathing, um, so many different facets to integrative medicine. And, and by the way, the word integrative is, is very purposeful. Um, we, most integrative practitioners don't use the term complementary uh, or alternative because it, it suggests that um, that uh, these strategies may not be the main strategy or they may be alternative strategies, but integrating these strategies into traditional medical practice, I, I think is is probably the most appropriate use of uh, many of these therapies and strategies for uh, optimizing our health, be it um, a- any patient, but specifically for the rheumatic patient. Sure. And I think uh, I remember having an experience, I turned to Ayurveda for a while uh, and that was life changing for my own uh, my own spondylitis, and mm-hmm. I think the idea of integrating it alongside traditional medicine or Western medicine was really helpful. Uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a big proponent of of integrative medicine. Are there? So let me ask you this: Are there any specific complementary therapies or complementary, okay, we're not going to use complementary, but are there any specific uh, things that may have a positive impact on spa that you've seen over the years? Yeah, uh, definitely. There there are several um, areas of focus that I, I try to encourage patients. Number one is sleep. And this is a little bit of a chicken or an egg type of scenario because um, when we don't sleep well, I think everybody's experienced this. Anybody who's gone through lots of school or <laughs> studying for exams um, know how we feel after pulling an all-nighter or not getting a restful night's sleep. And I think that plays into our health. And and I I, I personally have, have noticed a lot of different health detriments um, when we don't get regular uh, um, deep, restful sleep. And um, the, unfortunately, a lot of our spondylitis patients, because of the nature of the condition and the stiffness and the nighttime pain that's very common uh, with the condition, um, they, they don't feel well when they don't sleep well. When they don't sleep well, they don't feel well. And then when they don't feel well, they don't sleep well. And it's really a, a quite a vicious cycle. And that's that's where I'll um, employ certain strategies, uh, something so simple as not eating late at night, uh, avoiding caffeine later in the day, and th- these are things that that most people would come to the realization, but may not realize that they're doing it. It may be a an evening soda, um, it might be alcohol at night that um, that may interfere with their sleep. Um, there's also this very important concept that I failed to mention earlier when I when I mentioned some of the broader context of integrative medicine, but it's it's this notion of mindfulness training. 
and there's a whole area of curriculum that that's been developed uh, over the past few decades, and and it's it's it has the acronym of MBSR or Mindfulness Based Stress Reduction, and um, these are strategies including body imagery, deep breathing that can help us put uh, help put us into a deep restful sleep. Um, that doesn't involve drugs or even supplements, anything like that. And there's also uh, uh, a supplement. It's actually it's actually a hormone. It's it's called melatonin, and most people have heard about that. And uh, that's that's a strategy that we use. That's not really a drug, even though it comes as a pill form. <laughs> and um, at the uh, fellowship, they they trained us to to start slow and gradually increase. And most of the time, I recommend a specific a dose of melatonin. It's um, 0.3 milligrams at night. And by improving sleep, uh, it, it again tends to break that cycle of factors that can contribute to inflammation and well-being. And um, those of us, again, who've recovered from a few bad nights of sleep and uh, have gotten a couple good nights of sleep, I think we'll all agree that we do feel much, much better uh, using that approach. Um, another area that uh, I have encouraged patients with spondylitis is deep breathing. And uh, because of the nature of the inflammation of the spine, it's important, I think most physical therapists and most rheumatologists agree that maintaining good flexibility and rib cage excursion when we have deep, uh, deep breaths is something beneficial. Uh, just for aeration and main, maintaining some range of motion with the lungs and even even a little bit of postural um, improvement. And uh, Dr. Andrew Weil at the at the University of Arizona um, is a big proponent of of deep breathing exercises. There are many YouTube videos where uh, Dr. Weil W E I L um, demonstrates some of these. And uh, I, I I do do these myself. Um, I, I made do it at weird times of the day, usually not in front of a patient, but I find it's actually very relieving um, of stress and whether it's because of oxygenation or just this rhythmic pattern or putting the body in a little bit of, um, shall I say, balance, uh, I, I think um, it's it's very, very helpful for me. Um, but those are those are two, and, and we can maybe talk about some of the nutritional components uh, later, um, but I'll, I'll save that for um, maybe later on in our interview. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> one of the interesting things about breathing I've been playing with is because we, as patients with ankylosing spondylitis, tend to really need to rely on our core to support our back. And I've been playing a little bit lately with deep breathing for improved core engagement, uh, which mm -hmm. is a really interesting one that I think is, is useful, but just getting rid of even just the breathing to get rid of some of the things that we all feel or that people mm -hmm. feel. Uh, have you explored, and I don't know, this may be a curveball. How does water play into being hydrated play into our outcomes? Yeah, that's a really great question. I um, I have to acknowledge a little bit of um, 
scientific ignorance on that. I, I haven't seen any um, studies looking at that very important topic of hydration and the health of our spondyloarthritis patients. But um, uh, I mean, a, lo a lot of our patients do have other um, ch health challenges that come along uh, with their spondyloarthritis. Maybe it's a little bit of kidney irritation because of lots of medication use in the past. Um, some of our patients have gout. And I think uh, staying well hydrated are strategies to try to limit some of those other factors that may be contribu contributing. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's just healthier <laughs> to drink plenty of water and sure. stay hydrated. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested if there were any, any research on that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's something I, I do um, stress. Uh, and, and maybe let me, parlay that discussion into the nutrition component um, because what we put in our bodies, of course, also influences um, our, our health and well-being. And uh, unfortunately, in America, of course, this obesity epidemic that's, that's been um, um, publicized a great deal is, is a huge public health concern. And I do think that our, our spondylitis patients have greater challenges when they um, take in extra calories or are not able to get the exercise that um, is recommended when their body mass index or their weight uh, relative to their height does go up. There are obviously mechanical stresses that occur on the body. And there was a, a, a great study done out of UCSF, University of California, San Francisco, a few years ago that suggested that mechanical load um, by way of manual labor seems to result in progression of some of the changes of spondyloarthritis. Um, also, there's a great body of work suggesting that the medicines tend not to work as well when patients are overweight or obese. And um, th those are some of the, the very clear um, suggestions that, that maintaining a good healthy weight is of course important for spondyloarthritis, but also the nutritional factors um, there's, there's a, a, a whole litany of work done on, on eating sort of whole foods rather than the processed types of foods as a way of maintaining an anti-inflammatory uh, uh, food strategy. And, and again, at the University of Arizona, they uh, have a wonderful chart um, that li lists some of the components of, of a, uh, a diet that's considered anti-inflammatory. The American College of Rheumatology is also in the in the middle of um, publishing guidelines on integrative um, medicine options. Now, that's for the rheumatoid arthritis patient, but I think we can also um, translate that or apply that to any of our patients that have inflammatory conditions. And there is a summary on the American College of Rheumatology's website right now. It's a summary chart uh, that um, uh, promotes uh, one particular diet, and it's it's the Mediterranean-style diet. And <clears throat> that's one of these diets that it's it's high in, in uh, vegetables, it's high in uh, nuts and beans and legumes, and low on saturated fat and uh, a lot of meat products. It's also heavy on... Um, foods that are thought to be anti-inflammatory like uh, olive oil 
Um, the, the shells on seeds are thought to have an anti-inflammatory component called lignin, L-I-G-N-A-N. Um, but uh, yeah, nutrition, I think, uh, goes hand in hand with, um, with hydration about uh, un- under the umbrella of what do we put in our body that, that can help uh, promote an anti-inflammatory environment. Right. And I think you have talked about the challenges too of when someone, <clears throat> excuse me, when someone with a chronic disease is maybe doesn't have the energy to cook and do all these things, simple ways to continue to have a healthy diet, which might be being very simple, fresh vegetables, uh, things that don't require a lot of preparation or a lot of chopping. I know a lot of people have trouble chopping uh, Mm -hmm. when they have arthritic conditions. Uh, I think the diet is, is really a wonderful thing for people to explore. So I'm going to move off that topic for a minute and talk Mm -hmm. about just a little bit. Are there times when patients don't buy in or maybe misunderstand an integrative treatment approach? Yeah, I think um, that that does happen for sure. And I think a lot of uh, patients may have the notion that these are um, uh, concepts that um, are are not rooted in in hard science. And there's some, um, I think, you know, in some cases, healthy skepticism for for some of these approaches, there's also a little bit of a hesitation. Um, gosh, I don't like it when my doctor tells me not to eat something I like. <laughs> and there are those days, uh, today being a Monday when we're when we're doing this interview, that I, I did not have time to pack a lunch and I, I did hit a, a fast food uh, joint near the hospital here. And um, I mean, it's cheap, quick, easy, uh, uh, convenient. And uh, I think all of us fall into that mm, that little bit of a trap. But but you're right. Uh, how am I going to do this? Can I afford to do this? How inconvenient uh, are these things going to be? Um, mo- most of what I uh, encourage with patients are, are things that they can do, though. I would never tell um, a patient. I'm, I'm currently sitting here in Fontana. I, I wouldn't tell them, hey, go see a an expensive acupuncturist on day one, you know, um, uh, I wouldn't uh, ask them to go go visit the the Whole Foods market uh, uh, or or other uh, you know uh, market that that might be a little bit out of their price range. We have a very humble um, community out here where I serve, um, but it's a it's a conversation that I think that uh, once I bring up some of the mm, reasonable areas that that should be realistic with each individual patient, that there is is frequently some buy-in and um, <clears throat> yeah, let's do these things on top of the medications. And I think most patients are willing to do additive types of therapies. Um, and and I, you know, there, there may be a little bit of a, a, of a question mark in their heads, but ultimately I think most people, most people believe in some of these very healthy strategies um, that are, that have been tested and, have been used in, in other cultures and um, different settings for, for a very, very long time. Do you recommend that people track 
changes if they decide to change diet? Do you recommend that they track any differences they're feeling over time? Yeah, that's that's a really good question too. I, I one of my principles is to try to keep things simple, and life is so busy. Um, I think. Um, journaling or tracking symptoms and, and doing uh, food food journals. I, I don't think that's wrong, um, but I, th I think so many people, again, in Southern California have so many things going on. I, I try to uh, try to keep the, the larger picture and and I, I'm, I'm looking at a diagram um, of the anti-inflammatory food pyramid and there there are many different topics in here, fruits, vegetables, nuts, legumes, seafood, omega-3 fatty acids, even teas and some supplements. Um, but I, I'm just trying to, to picture a, a patient that's working full-time, trying to raise a family and um, meal planning and, and ma making large charts and, and following these things. I don't discourage it, but I try to encourage patients just to keep things simple and lean towards these types of um, diets or um, strategies, and then let's see you at follow up, and then we'll we'll track how the symptoms are. We'll see how the lab tests are have maybe perhaps responded. Um, once again, in combination with the the medical treatments that we've been using. And I expect you get patients who want to continue the path if the lab tests come back differently. <laughs> yeah, and and we don't always go. Um, 100% on blood tests, but it's very encouraging for especially visual patients when they see that their inflammation markers have fallen or if their anemia has improved, their liver tests have improved with some of the changes that they've made, be it weight loss, be it some uh, nutritional supplements, be it a healthier uh, uh, diet regimen, um, exercise, uh, a leaner body mass. I, I think those are all really good things to measure um, that we, we can do in the clinic typically. And when you see a new patient or a newly diagnosed patient, uh, would, would the first consult or first couple consults differ from seeing a, a traditional rheumatologist who doesn't have integrative as a background? Um, yeah, I think that, I mean, so many of my colleagues do amazing things. I, 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 I like to add this extra little slice of service if, if patients are um, eager to learn about it. I, I may bring up the notion, um, I'll listen carefully, and if a patient uh, sort of invites me in, if they say, hey, what about my diet? That'll be my cue to maybe bring in um, uh, a little diagram of the anti-inflammatory uh, food pyramid, these strategies. If they tell me, hey, this is bothering my sleep, I may ask them, well, uh, what, what, ways, what ways do you think your sleep can be improved? And, and I basically um, try to listen to their ideas and what they're open to, certainly at the first visit, um, but even at the second and third visit, if sleep is something that's important to them or nutrition or what can I do at home myself? Um, are there any types of uh, physical um, th therapeutic um, interventions that I can do at home? 
I don't have time for physical therapy, but what can I do? I might suggest something like deep breathing exercises and um, refer them to some of these uh, e easy to access YouTube videos from Dr. Andrew Weil. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's it's more of a listening and a responding to a, a patient's um, uh, wishes and, and what they're open to. Goes back to that patient centric design, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, supplements are often talked about. Mm -hmm. Are there specific supplements that you might recommend or are there some that would be best practice for someone with ankylosing spondylitis to take a look at? Yeah, and this is a, a question that, that frequently comes up in the clinic. And unfortunately, the world of supplements is not as rigid um, because there are different rules that apply with the FDA as compared to the pharmaceutical therapies that we recommend. A lot of what we go by um, as far as evidence for effectiveness are, are relatively small studies, a lot of uncontrolled trials. And uh, there's certainly a lot of anecdotes that, that, uh, uh, that I will um, bring up to the patient. Um, but my, my principle of, of supplements and nutritional additives is this, that, that they, they shouldn't hurt. And if a patient has the resources and willingness to try certain types of nutritional or, or dietary supplements, then um, the ones that I recommend uh, typically are things that most patients have heard about. Um, the Ayurvedic uh, principle of nutrition and certain herbs and supplements. Uh, the, the most famous is, is turmeric. And uh, this is um, the active ingredient is called our curcumin. And this is derived from the root uh, of a plant. And it's thought to have anti-inflammatory components and may even have some anti-cancer components. Now, once again, the, the evidence for this is not highly rigid and, and as extensive as it is for medications. Um, I, I do recommend omega-3 fatty acids, and I think most of our cardiology colleagues will agree on that. There seems to be some anti-inflammatory component of omega-3 uh, with respect to joints and also uh, pertaining to the heart, and these seem to be heart-healthy. And that's another point is that even if these um, types of interventions may not dramatically reduce a patient's inflammation and their musculoskeletal pain, there are other effects that are very positive, like with the heart, like with diabetes or weight. Um, and, and, and that's why I, I do encourage these types of um, products. Again, if a patient is willing and, and has the resources, um, another one is vitamin D. Yes. And yeah, most of us know that vitamin D is very important for bone health. And our spondyloarthritis patients have a, a higher risk of fracture. Um, and because uh, we're a little bit less mobile and um, may not be able to exercise as well as uh, non-spondyloarthritis patients, I think um, taking some regular vitamin D is, is a good habit and the most frequently uh, recommended dose uh, that, that I employ is, is a thousand international units of vitamin D3 a day. Um, there are some of these mega doses and, um, and other strategies. Uh, you know, we get most of our natural vitamin D from the sunlight uh, through conversion um, through our skin. 
but of course, in Southern California, we we probably get a little bit too much sunlight <laughs> and ultraviolet <laughs> radiation, and and I think therefore um, a vitamin D supplement or um, or certain foods that are high in vitamin D that's that's another good strategy. Um, okay. So, yeah. yeah. One question I have: maybe we should start our research. Uh, piece of research on water. <laughs> I would oh. love to see that. Uh, I think it would be a really interesting study. Not sure how you do it, but I, I think uh, there might be something there. Mm -hmm. uh, so I am so grateful you joined us today. Do you have any closing thoughts or inspirational words to drive hope in the community? Well, yeah, I, I think that there's so much reason for optimism in the world of spondyloarthritis. Um, it's, it's not just these uh, wonderful medicines that keep coming out. There, there are uh, investigational trials. I'm, I'm involved with some of them here at, uh, uh, in Fontana. Um, the world is moving very, very quickly. Science is building at massive, massive amounts. Uh, it seems like almost daily. The wonderful researchers that we have in rheumatology are exploring so many facets of uh, inflammation and how to break that cycle and to get our patients feeling better and more functional to live a, a very uh, fulfilling and happy life. And this tiny slice of integrative medicine I think only adds to the hope and optimism that we have. What else can we do on top of the medicines? What can I do to make myself feel better? In, in the words of so many of our patients that have asked me this. And, and um, once again, when you're looking at the, the benefit risk ratio, um, there, there really is no risk to um, uh, getting a, a weight a little bit healthier, to eating good, healthy uh, foods with less additives. Uh, there's really no harm in taking a little bit extra vitamin, I'm not overdosing on them, but to laughing and to enjoying our communities, be it the Spondylitis Association of America or a support group, or even the community of, of the medical clinic, the, the wonderful medical assistant I have, and leaning on your doctor, um, maybe even drinking plenty of water. I, uh, <laughs> I I, I think there's there's very little harm in drinking plenty of water. I think that's that. Uh, there, we already did the study. Drink drink plenty of water. Stay hydrated. Drink plenty of water. It's yeah. Right there. Okay, Eat great. Well. All right. Well, thank you so much for your commitment to this community. I know you make a positive impact on a lot of people's lives through your work. So, uh, and I know the Spondylitis Association of America is grateful for you as well and the work you do with us. So. Uh, Dr. Lee, thank you so much. Look forward to seeing what comes next for you. All right. Thank you so much for your time, Jill, and, and the very uh, thought-provoking questions. I hope I, <laughs> hope I answered them well and uh, helps out some of our patients out there. You did great. SpondyCast was made possible by donations from the Spondylitis Association of America's individual members and our show's corporate sponsor, AbbVie. Since our founding in 1983, the Spondylitis Association of America has been the face, voice, and leading nationwide nonprofit, educating, empowering, and advocating for people living with spondyloarthritis. Through our extensive work with patients, the medical community, and partners, we provide information and resources to help people impacted by the disease live better lives and champion research to find a cure.